If you have your Bibles today, would you look with me at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, reaping the consequences of your love. And uh, whether you love God or you don't, there's something that you love. And there are consequences of the decisions of, upon which we place our affections. When 67-year-old Russell Herman died in 1994, his will included a staggering set of bequests. Included in his plan for distribution was more than $2 billion for the city of East St. Louis, another billion and a half for the state of Illinois, $2.5 billion for the National Forest System, and on top of the list, Herman left $6 trillion to the government to pay off the national debt. That sounded amazingly generous. There was a small problem. Herman's only asset when he died was a 1983 Oldsmobile. He put a lot of stuff in his will, but he didn't have any money behind it. <laughs> he made grand pronouncements, but there was no real generosity involved. His promises were meaningless because there was nothing to back them up. True generosity is not determined by the amount that we give, but by our hearts. When Jesus saw the widow give two mites, the very poor, impoverished widow, give two mites in the temple, he responded, Verily I say to you, this poor widow hath cast in hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. The sacrificial gift that she demonstrated, how much she loved God and his work. The best way to determine what we love most is not by our words, but how we use our time and our money. And uh, today is not about money, but it is about our love. And as you think about that, where is it I spend my affections, my time? And my finances also is a part of that, right? Because that which we value, we put invest into. We put money into, Right? And uh, as we think about this, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, we see what became of the affection of Eve. And I want to talk today about the commands. When God gives us commands, and I lead by my emotions, by my mind, rather than following what God thinks. And there are consequences for it. And uh, as we look at, here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, I'd like you to follow along with me. Uh, so Eve has uh, been uh, talking to the serpent, Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. What happened? She saw that the tree was good for food. It would make her wise. It would give her, it would make her like God. Or so she thought. You know, sometimes people say, well, you don't ever really know what it's like until you're in their shoes. And, and there is some truth to that. But, I don't need to know about the consequences of engaging in drugs to know that it's harmful. I can look around society and say, I don't think drugs are helpful. And Eve made a decision as she looks at this. She looks at the tree, she looks at the fruit, and she says, whoa, what is she loving? She's now demonstrating a love more for herself and the pleasantness and the comfort with which she perceives that this fruit will give to her above that which God will give to her. God said, don't, touch. God said, don't eat it. Now, we live in a world today, in uh, Psalm 36, verses 1 through 3, 
a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. We live in a world that is consumed with self. I don't need God. There's no fear of God. But too often, when bad things happen, oh, he's not a loving God. People dismiss God. God, get out of my life. I'm making decisions my way. I'm doing it under my rules. Just as she said, I'm eating that fruit because it's going to make me wise. Now, God has clearly spelled out that justice comes upon the disobedient. Now, God's grace allows sin for a while, but judgment will inevitably come. If a believer lives for themselves and dismisses the commands of God, you reap some very unintended consequences. Now, this morning I was uh, doing a portion of my reading in the scriptures as I was meditating on God's word. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, I want you to look with me here at an idea. This was not a part of my original notes, but uh, Lord, just, it was amazing this morning as I was looking on it, 2 Samuel chapter 6. But it ties in with this idea of our love. So the Ark of the Covenant, David is bringing home. Okay, it's been over in the Philistines. David's excited. They go and they put the Ark of the Covenant on a new ox cart. Verse 7 in 2 Samuel 6. Uh, verse uh, 6, excuse me, 6-6. Six, six. And when they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, and he took hold of it, for the oxen shook it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his heir, and there he died by the ark of God. Verse 8. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. So David is mad at God Because he says, God, you've made a breach. Uzzah was just taking the ark home. Why is it that we get so frustrated with God when we think that God is too hard on someone, not realizing that Uzzah and Ahio, his brother, who were carrying the ark of the covenant back, were already breaking the rule that only the Levites were to carry the ark of the covenant? So he gets mad at God. You've made a breach, God. Why didn't David say, God, I breached you in the fact that I disobeyed your commands? As we think about this idea, the consequences of your love. So David says, we're going to bring it in the best cart. But that's not what God says. So David breached God's rules. You breach God's rules. You reap God's justice. There's mercy. But there's also consequences. If we live our lives for ourselves, if we dismiss the commands of God, I will reap things that I don't like. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, in the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. And you think back upon that idea of Uzzah touching the ark. What was it? 
in, in David's judgment, if he was standing before a court, he said, God, you've breached. Why is it we're so concerned about my idea of justice and not about what God's idea of justice is? What are God's rules? God had said only the Levites are to take it. They're to carry it by hand. There's to be poles through the ark that they carry. There's to be, God gave specific amount of men to carry it. He gave the poles. He gave all the specifics to carry it. But we think in our justice, we judge God and say, God, you're not merciful. God says, if you don't deal with it right, there's justice. We think that we are the justice system and the ability to judge God. Well, if God doesn't do what I want to do, then I'm done with God. And then when bad things happen, we're like, Oh, Lord, help! But you didn't want him in the first place. And I'm talking to believers here. We get right, when we get right with God... You know what? God's door is always open to get right. It's always open. In Nahum, the book of Nahum, verses, chapter 1, verses 2 through 7, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. Nahum is written, remember Jonah? Jonah and the whale, Nineveh, the Assyrians, they repented, they got right. Well, in Nahum... The Ninevites have gone back on their old ways. And God is jealous. God's mad. He's going to pour out his fury. You know something? It's a painful thing to go through some chastisement of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. You know what? It's painful when God takes you to the woodshed. When you know that you're under the judgment of God because you've made some decisions. Now, when you know you're under the judgment, what ought to be? Lord, forgive me for my actions. You see, it is either harmony and fellowship with God or it's living for my passions and my desires. Galatians 5.16, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You're either doing, walking in the Spirit, or you're doing life your way. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So if that is not in your life, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, if that is not in your life, if your life is frustration, irritation, anger, madness, bitterness, whatever, you're not walking in the Spirit. You're living for yourself. And God is saying there's stuff in your life you've breached some of my commandments. You've made some judgments wherein you think you can live this particular way. James 1.15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. What happens when you live life, the sin is anything that I do that displeases God. Sin, right? Displeasing God. So if I breach that commandment, and it's said there that when Uzzah touched that ark, God was furious with him he was angry with him because he wasn't supposed to touch it 
That Ark of the Covenant, apart from the mercy seat that was upon it, right? The Ark of the Covenant would be inside the Holy, most holy of Holies. And upon that Ark of the Covenant were the two cherubim and the mercy seat there where the blood would be applied. But the Ark of the Covenant, what was within it? The Ten Commandments, the law, the law judge. Uzzah, you touched it, you die. Judge, justice only tells us if we're guilty and what the penalty is for breaching But the fact is, when we are in opposition to God, there's a lot of unintended consequences. 2 Peter 2.10 But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. You never know of someone that it doesn't matter who the authority is, that they're against them. A life lived for yourself is an attack on an enemy of God. 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And Eve's decision to eat that fruit made a choice that I love myself more than I love God. You must love God by your obedience or fear His true and perfect justice. Let's go to the Lord and ask for His blessing. And that was my introduction, and we'll continue from here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for this day. Father, this is one of those heavier messages, and so, Lord, I do pray that it would lord the areas in our life where it needs to impact us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do that in our lives. Father, that if there's anything in our lives where we're reaping consequences that are because of living for ourselves, that, Lord, we would do right, and we'd get right. Lord, we know you're merciful. And God, we can come to you and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you've called us to come boldly approach the throne of grace. And Lord, there is freedom and forgiveness. But Lord, if we persist in our ways, Lord, I pray that we would learn that it does not pay to live at odds with God. Father, I love you. And I pray that the words that I speak, Lord, would be only from you, not my own words, not my thoughts. So Lord, I commit this time to you. Lord, we ask for your spirit during this time. Work in our hearts as only you can. I yield myself to thee. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. When you think about the consequences of being emotionally led, you know what the law does? As I had said, the law, we have all sorts of laws of this land. If you work in the justice system, there's laws. You learn about it every day. You, if you work in the justice system, you deal with lawbreakers, right? If you're a law enforcement, you deal with lawbreakers. You wouldn't have a job if there wasn't lawbreakers. I mean, if you think about it, if there's no lawbreakers, you don't need a law enforcement, <laughs> right? Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. In the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, which is doing that, which is, you know, missing the mark, right? Taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. What happened when Eve ate of that fruit? It deceived her, and she died. There was no longer that peaceful, harmonious relationship with God. And it would also spell her physical death as well. Now, the issue is not the law. The issue is our heart in relation to the law. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Is there anything wrong with the law of God? And your answer is no. 
Now, the Bible tells us, Proverbs 13, 13, whoso despiseth the word, the Bible, shall be destroyed. But he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. You might be saying, well, there's a lot of people that despise the world and their life is hunky-dory and my life is struggling while other people who hate God uh, and, and their life seems to be going okay. Yes, but there's coming a day of reckoning. It says if you despise the word, your life, there's going to be destruction. Death all around. Proverbs 19, 16, he that keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul. But he that despises his ways shall die. What's God saying? You keep my commandments. And I'm not saying keeping his commandments as some mechanical, uh, religious thing. You're keeping his commandments because I love God. There's a great difference between a mom and a dad saying, get over here, do this, do that. I mean, just barking out orders. I mean, you're just like, oh. After a while, your spirit's just like, oh. You know, you're just irritated. Stop barking orders at me. It's a whole lot different than if a parent says, hey, come over here. Can I show you something? Hey, if someone invests their life into you and you know they truly care for you, they say, hey, would you mind helping me? Yeah, absolutely, I'd love to help you. It comes from the heart. When I'm talking about the commandments of God, I'm not saying that God doesn't, and as we've mentioned before, the commandments of God are not grievous. What does the justice of God do with us? Why would God discipline us? Why would God allow some difficulty in our lives? There's multiple reasons for difficulty in our lives. There's multiple reasons that God allows some things into our lives. Like Job. Job hadn't done anything wrong, but, but God would use him. There's other times that God uses uh, hardship in our life uh, to realize he's God. There's other times he does it to correct us for bad behavior. There's multiple reasons, but I say all of this, that in the justice and the discipline, what is the purpose of discipline? Discipline is to bring reconciliation. It's to bring a restoration of a relationship that was broken. So when God is chastening us, disciplining us, it says in Hebrews 12, 10, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his own holiness. He's talking about the fathers, like your dad or whomever, would discipline you. And maybe a, a parent did it very harshly. I mean, they were just like, get over here. You're going to get a licking or whatever they did at that time. They're not doing it. They're almost doing it because out of anger to get back at you for whatever action you did. But God, when he disciplines us, he does it so we're drawn closer to him. So I learn to love him more so I don't repeat the same mistake twice. Now, if you're anything like myself, I tend to have to learn three, four, five, six, ten times more or more from my mistakes. And thankfully, God is gracious. A young man named John received a parrot as a gift. The parrot had a bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words, playing soft music and anything else he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary. Finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot. The parrot yelled back. John shook the parrot and the parrot got angrier and even ruder. John, in desperation, threw up his hands, grabbed the bird, and put him in the freezer. 
For a few minutes, the, parents, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. Then suddenly, there was a total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he'd hurt the parrot, John quickly opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly stepped out into John's outstretched arms and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and action. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. As he was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the bird continued, may I ask what the turkey did? (laughs) You think about this, right? Here's a turkey in the freezer. (laughs) That would be shocking. Anyways, you get the idea (laughs) that John was trying to get the bird to be an appropriate bird. I know it's quite silly (laughs) and kind of funny. (laughs) But as you think about it, Uh, just in regards to correction. You know what God's desire is for us? We get this idea of this wrathful God throwing down lightning bolts upon us. God always works for our restoration. He works to bring us to himself. The hardships and the struggles in our life are to bring us to more greater dependence upon him, that I need him more. Do you realize in Genesis chapter 12, number one of things, what you get as a a consequence of living by your emotions, shame for reproachful living. What happened? Abraham would go into Egypt. He would give give his wife, Sarah, to Pharaoh, saying she's my sister. And then Pharaoh would question him, why did you tell me she was your... Uh, your sister and not your wife, essentially, right? There was shame. In Lamentations, there's a listening to false prophets, and and again, there is a shame for reproachful listening. Number two, there's a shame for hurtful actions. In Genesis chapter 32, as you think about Jacob and Esau, remember what Jacob did? His father told Esau, go get me some venison, and I'll give you the blessing, the family blessing. Jacob overhears it. Rebecca overhears it. And so they go out. And Jacob, his mom kills a goat, puts the skin on him. He's hairy. And feeds his dad the meat. And she cooks it up the way she knows Isaac likes it. Years later, Esau is so mad that his dad's given the blessing to Jacob, he's going to kill his brother. Years pass, years and years and years pass, over 20 plus years. Jacob hears that Esau's there ahead and he wants to make reconciliation, but what does he do? Jacob's really kind of a coward. I mean, Jacob puts his least favorite wives in front, and then he puts Rachel closest to him, and then he's in the far back. I mean, he's like, well, if they're going to get killed, then I'm going to be the last one to be killed because I'll let them get killed before me. I mean, that's kind of his thinking. I mean, Jacob's a coward. I mean, he's shamed for the hurtful actions. I hurt my brother, so I'm going to make a buffer between us. I mean, he stayed in the rear of the caravan. How about Joseph's brethren that put him in that pit years prior when he was a 17-year-old, little, 17-year-old teen? And they sold him into slavery. When their dad died, when Jacob dies, right? (laughs) The brothers come to Joseph 
who's second in command of Egypt, and they sent a messenger to Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. They're saying, Joseph, please don't kill us. They're under Joseph's rule. Now Joseph could have killed them. He could have killed his entire family. He could have sold all of his brothers into slavery, the same ones that sold him into slavery. These brothers had a shame for their hurtful actions. You know, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8, the wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. You know, if maybe you do something really hurtful to someone and you did it years ago, and every time you're around, you, you, if you see them, you're like, oh, I don't want them to see me because I've done some, some really kind of foolish things. Because you're living for yourself. You've lived for your emotions. Nebuchadnezzar, his actions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would end up killing some of his best guards, his best soldiers, when he made that furnace seven times hotter. Another consequence is you refuse God's actions, and you, by refusing God's action, it results in harsher punishment. Have you ever had a time in your life where you're maybe saying, God, I, I'm good right now, I don't really need God, I don't need church, I'm, I'm going to do life my way. God says, okay. Difficulty comes. I can't believe God would do this to me. I'm not. I'm done with God. And so you continue down that path, and life gets harder and harder and harder. You realize what happened to Pharaoh? Moses said, let my people go, as he says, God told me. Let my people go. And Pharaoh's refusal of Moses, what happened? Every one of the plagues was increasingly more challenging. Result in financial and market instability. It would result in Pharaoh's gods being rendered powerless. It would result in Egypt wanting Israel to leave. It would result in the death of Pharaoh's oldest son, and it would also render Pharaoh's army ineffective against a far inferior military people. Israel was not a military. There are a whole bunch of farmers and slaves. And yet God got them across that Red Sea And he showed Pharaoh, your greatest military might is nothing against the mighty hand of God. You resisted, you resisted, you resisted, you resisted, and it brought greater punishment. Israel refused to trust God. They abhorred the Sabbath. And and, and God says on the Sabbath day, this is for Israel, this is not for New Testament believers, but nevertheless, the sixth day, or the seventh day, Sabbath, Saturday, God says when they were collecting manna in the desert, he says in Exodus 16, six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. God says, listen, on the Sabbath, you are to collect uh, enough food for today and tomorrow. Because if you don't, there's not going to be any food tomorrow, and you're not, I'm not going to give it to you. And they would abhor it, and they would go, one guy was caught out there gathering. You know what also happened to Israel? They returned to bondage in the plagues of God. In Judges chapter 3, we learn that failure to obey up front leads to future thorns in the flesh and stumbling blocks. Look at me at Judges chapter 3. When I live for my emotions, Right? You're living for, it just feels right. I just follow my heart. You ever heard that? 
when you follow your heart, but your heart is against the Lord, you're putting yourself in a position where you're at odds with God. Judges chapter 3, verse 4, and they, were pro- and they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken to the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their father by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. What happened? Israel felt they went by their emotions. I'm just too tired. I'm too tired to get rid of some of this not-so-good stuff in my life. It's just too much work. So Israel goes in the promised land. They fail to rid it of all the people that God said rid it of, to get rid of them, to drive them out. And years later, their children, their sons and daughters and grandchildren would end up marrying those who, had, who were pagan, who didn't love God, and that would end up resulting in a great pollution of Israel and a walking away from God to serve other gods. Because it was just too much work. It was just too hard. It was too emotional. It was too difficult. I'm too tired. Something else that, in regards to refusing God's action, results in harsher punishment is we can place tradition of religion above faith. Acts 15, 24, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Here's some people who place traditions. Well, if you want to be saved, you must be circumcised. I mean, come on. That's what you're supposed to do. And they're adding to it. But that's against God's word. And what happens if you, if you live your life? Well, I need to say a prayer and I, and I need to be circumcised. Huh? And, uh, you know, and you're following it. What happens if you follow down that? You never put your soul faith in Jesus Christ. You face an eternity in the lake of fire, as the Bible will talk about. And you also, my last illustration for this particular point, is you will find yourself in servitude to someone else. Servitude to man. The the Gibeonites, they saw what, they saw, they heard of God get Israel across the Red Sea. They heard of God get Israel 40 years in the wilderness, feed them with manna, feed them with with birds, with doves or uh, meat, quail there we go and then get them across the jordan river defeat those in jericho they heard of all of this and yet the gibeonites refused god and they said well we're going to try and go and get a, a covenant a pact a promise from the israelites that they'll be our neighbors and by refusing to submit to God and say, God, you're the true God. Remember Rahab? She put her faith in God and what happened? She ended up entering into the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. She she was a prostitute that God forgave because she put her faith in God. The Gibeonites could have said, God is too powerful for us. The Israelites are God's people. His hand's upon them. Oh God, forgive us for our sins. No, rather than doing that, they go by their own ways. Well, let's see how I can work, manipulate, find the loopholes, get all the little stuff here. And as a result, what would happen? They would end up being the slaves to the Israelites. Drawing water and other such. What's another thing that can happen in our life if we live for the emotions? We can have a generational curse of judgment for our idolatry. I want you to look with me 
in Exodus 32. We're going to look at several passages here in Exodus. I just don't like that form of God. I don't like, eh, it's not my way, right? <laughs> because if we're, our, if we're saying we're Christians, then what is our rule? What is our standard? It's the Word of God. You come to the Word of God, what does the Bible say? That's, if we're a Christian, this is, this is my standard. The Bible would tell us in Exodus, let's go back to Exodus chapter 20 verse uh, real quick. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Here's Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments are spelled out. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God. Why is he jealous? Because he wants that close relationship with you and you alone. He doesn't want the relationship with any... He doesn't want you putting your, your passions into another belief or something else. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. God's saying, I want you to myself. It's like a husband saying, I'm going to have a couple mistresses. I don't believe any loving wife would be like, oh, okay, that sounds good to me. I think there would be quite a bit of challenges going on. God's saying, you're mine. I want you. He's saying, Israel, I got you out of, I got you out of Egypt. I fed you in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 32 Verse 7, the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped him, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. God's angry. They would even go so far to say that the God, that, that golden calf that they would make, this was the God that got us out of Egypt. I mean, that is the greatest slap in the face of God. They would throw in all their gold and their money, and it was all about materialism. It was all about money, 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 money. And the people would raise, look with me at verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing, Do I hear? So there's a different sound in worship. There's verse 19, there's a, there's a dancing here. He saw, that he saw the calf and the dancing, verse 19, and portion of it. And, and what happened? Verse 23, Aaron who was the second in command, they're like, hey, Aaron, would you make us a golden calf? Oh, sure. I'll do that. Aaron was pretty spineless at times. Now let's look at verse 24. And I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me. Then I cast it in the fire, and there came out this calf. 
A God is something that I mold into what I want it to be. You know, sometimes God tells us some things that are a little uncomfortable. It it doesn't really apply to me. If God clearly says it, I can accept it or reject it. But if I'm just like, well, it just doesn't feel good. I can dismiss it. By living by their emotions, and they rejected God, they made a God that was comfortable to what they wanted, it to, wanted him to be. We find in verse 25, when Moses saw the people were naked, it changed their dress standard. There's 3,000 were killed for this offense. There was extra work for the, the, uh, the godly people. I mean, they had to deal with the burying of these bodies. And There's many things in our life that we can do. Just follow your emotions. Come on, Satan says, eat that fruit. You're going to be wise. You're going to be healthy. Oh, you're going to be rich. God is most concerned. As he says, he's a jealous God. I want your heart. I want your heart. We can so consumed with following after a dreamer of dreams. It's Deuteronomy 13.5 and Jeremiah. We can redefine obedience and worship to God. 1 Samuel 15. I can draw this to a close here shortly, but look with me at 1 Samuel 15. This is kind of more of an overview of things. Just looking at some of the commands of God, and, and this was more of an overview, but I want us to think about that if I live life under my terms, I'm living it for myself at odds with God. I need to live my life the way God wants me to live it. 1 Samuel 15, 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Lie number one. Liar. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. How many times have we done something? God said, do this, go all the way. And you say, well, I'm going to go part way. It's, you know, it's, at least I've tried some. The Bible will let us know, in principle, partial obedience is still rebellion. And we will find ourselves end up being enslaved. Saul would lose the kingdom here by partial obedience. You know, if we fail to follow the commandments of God, guess what we do? 2 Peter chapter 2. Saul lived for the religious ceremonies. Ceremonialism. It was more, I mean, he was doing, he was like, well, it's going to be a great sacrifice. I mean, we got the best of the sheep, the best of the animals. We're going to give God the best. God didn't want that best. That best was all to be destroyed. It's not up to me to define what God wants. It's up to me to figure out what God wants and out of love say, yes, sir. Follow him. You know, if we follow partially with God, 
2 Peter 2.19, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. You know, we can get enslaved to just religious actions. You know, sometimes at some churches, you know, very liturgical ones, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, do this, say this, do this. You know, it's just kind of this, this whole mechanical thing. And I understand there are some things, you know, we sing the songs here and, and we do the memory verse. But the desire is of learning, you know what, Jesus loves me, this I know. The commandments of God are not grievous if I understand the heart of the one giving the commands. Problem is, we don't know the heart of God. And so we're thinking, oh, I gotta do that again. (laughs) Right? How often have individuals in your life, there's something that sounds really religious, it sounds very godly, as you begin to delve into it, and you begin to search, and then you look at the scriptures, and you're like, wait a second. That's different. <laughs> that doesn't line up. You'll end up finding yourself walking after other lustful men. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. These are individuals Say, God, I've got it my way. God, I'm going to do church my way. I'm going to do it my way. It's not up to us to say, God, I'm going to do it my way. It's up to us to say, Lord, how is it supposed to be done? Lord, how am I to live my life? Because if I live by my emotions, there's more points I'll give, and I'll have to give that, Lord willing, next Sunday. But as you think about this, The commandments of God that he's given to us. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. His arms are saying, listen, you might have been living your life your way. You might be doing religion your way. But how about time that you kneel and you just say, you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of all your sins. You're not trusting in, in how good you are. You're not trusting whether you were baptized as an infant or whatever age you are. You're not trusting in, in your parents' uh, godliness. You're trusting only in Jesus. And God says, listen, I'll accept you. I'm not looking at your past. I'm looking at your heart. And if you're willing to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and your, your death and burial and resurrection paid my sin, my friend, you're a child of God forgiven and Christian I've got to understand that maybe some of the trials and challenges in my life could very well be because I'm living my life my way my emotions my thoughts David was mad at God because he thought in David's justice, God was the the offender. God was the murderer. Not understanding David, not looking back and saying, oh, sorry, Lord, I'm the one that actually ultimately killed Uzzah. I failed to follow what you told me to do. 
to come and worship you the appropriate way. When we think about our lives reaping the consequences of our love, where are your passions? Your passion, number one, and in the greatest commandment, right? The first greatest commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. A heart of obedience. If there's things in our lives, some, some challenges in our lives, I ought to be saying, God, is there any sin in my life? As we come to the time of invitation, if I could have Mrs. Patrick.